0: Amen. Well, my name's Kenny White. I'm the new campus pastor at Shakopee, and so it's really exciting to be here. I'm so thankful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's it's been awesome getting to know people and the staff. You have an amazing staff here. Very talented. They love the Lord. Already, I I feel like I'm getting to know Pastor Matt really well. I feel like he's a brother to me, which is unfortunate for him because I was pretty mean to my brother. And uh, a few weeks ago at Shakopee, I was was preaching and I pulled up this passage and this is the passage that that we've been using in this series and I said, you guys, it would be really good to memorize this passage and go up to Pastor Matt. He's going to be here in a few weeks and just share it with him. And like from your heart, just like let it go, share it with him. And he'll give you $100. And, of course, that's not true, but I thought it was funny. And it was. But here's what happened. So later that evening, there was an event. And someone came up to Pastor Matt, and they, they quoted this passage. And Matt reached in his pocket, pulled out a $100 bill of Monopoly money. <laughs> like, well played, sir. Well played. <laughs> Love it. We're having a great time and, and, and enjoying one another and, and we're excited for the days to come. But this is one of those passages that really encompasses um, everything that we've been preaching. And so I wanted to read it together. If you would be willing to read it with me, this is Proverbs eighteen 21. I'll just start and you read it out loud uh, with me as well. I appreciate it. Here we go. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it Will eat its fruits. Proverbs eighteen twenty one. Good job, and just keep this in mind: death and life. We have the ability with our words to speak death and life into people. That's a big deal, and so that's going to be the heart of what we'll talk about today. We're going to jump into this uh, in just a moment, and I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer. And as we pray, I. I I'm going to pause before I start praying, and I'm going to let you pray just quietly where you are, and just ask the Lord to do a work in your own heart, that you would have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. I also want to ask you to pray for me, that God would speak through me, maybe even in spite of me today, that that God's words would be heard and not mine, if you'd pray for me. And then I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to jump into the word. Ready? Let's do it. Jesus, we love you. Lord God, we do love you, and we thank you and praise you, and we ask, O oh Lord, that you would be exalted and lifted up in the things that we do and the things that we say. And, Lord, I, I know that there is death and life in the power of the tongue. And, Lord, I, I, just, I recognize right now that um, we're in a tough spot uh, in the United States. We're in a tough spot, and words are killing people. But I also think that words can bring life. And so, Lord, I, I just surrender this to you and ask that you would be exalted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have no intention of becoming political right now. Okay? This, what I'm about to share is not an attempt to be political or to sway us one way or the other, but just to look at a bigger context of what's happening if you watched the presidential debate like I did you may have been frustrated as I was at two men who were interrupting each other in mid-sentence and saying some pretty mean things. Now as I sat there and I thought about it and I in all honesty I began to be frustrated at those two I realized wait a minute we live in a representative democracy These men don't just represent us, they reflect us. And if we don't believe that, go on to social media and look. And that's exactly what we're seeing. What we saw demonstrated at that debate is exactly what we're seeing on social media. That's not okay. The church has this unique ability to speak life. It's it's been given to us to steward, and we get to do that. The word encourage literally means to give courage. And so as we begin to talk, I'm just asking this question are you discouraged? Just in your place in this world right now, are you discouraged? It's easy to be. There are fears. You know, we see that public display with presidential, uh, uh, presidential, uh, pres- the presidential debate. Sorry, I'll get it out. Hang in there with me presidential debate, we see these men, and it's easy to be frustrated. It's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to be disappointed, or maybe our health hasn't really been good, or maybe we've spent too much time at home and around people, and we are like, ah, I just need to withdraw a little bit, or maybe you're feeling some disorder in your world, or maybe you're feeling the loss of confidence because of what is happening in the world. All of those are legitimate, but are you discouraged? Are you discouraged? And I've struggled with it. Um, I, I think often of David. King David was he's this great guy. At some points, he's a warrior. At other times, he's a musician. And scripture says that he encouraged himself in the Lord. <laughs> that It tickled me because it was like he looked around. No one else was encouraging him. And so he's like, well, no one else is going to do it. I guess I will. And he encourages himself in the Lord. So I've been thinking about that, like, how do I encourage myself in the Lord? I need to figure this out. So I come up with something, and we're going to test it together, okay? So it's with my phone, and let's let's just try it, okay? Will you try it with me? Let's try it. Hey, Siri, would you encourage me? Your church is hashtag blessed to have you. Uh, (laughs) Siri, you... Sometimes you got to encourage yourself in the Lord. I'll be honest with you. I have no idea what happened. Joel Farber was the one who put me up to it, and he uh, did a great job. So thank you. As I understand, Hannah might have even been the voice of Siri on that. So thank you, <laughs> Farber, for, for putting that together. It was fun. Yeah, encourage. It means to give Courage. And we have this ability to give courage to one another in a way that no one else does. In a place that is dark, we can bring light. And I'm excited to be able to share with you a little bit more about what that means. And one of the things I appreciate about our position as believers, followers of Christ, is that we start with this reality that God is with us. Wherever we go, God is with us. When, when you watch Jesus going to the cross, all of his followers, these young men that were following him, they get scared to death. One of them runs away. A guy tries to grab a hold of him by his tunic. He just leaves his tunic and runs away naked, the scripture says. Like, that's scared. He's out of there, and they all get together, and they're fearful. And then you look back over the next 50 years of what those men did, And the world was turned upside down because they went from discouraged to encouraged. They went from, I'm going to die, to I want to give my life that others can have life. It's an amazing thing. God is with us. And Jesus himself, when he challenged the disciples to go out, he said, I'm with you always. Even to the end of the age, I'm with you. That's a good promise to hold on to. The first time I remember really holding on to that promise, I had been a believer for a few years. My wife and I had recently gotten married, and we moved to inner city Chicago. And if any of you are familiar with the Jim Croce song, Bad, Bad Leroy Brown, that's the neighborhood we moved into. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it later. You'll you'll figure it out. You're like, oh, it was that neighborhood. That's not good. Um, We were with 90% gang kids uh, several of the kids that we worked with were shot and drive-bys. It was a tough place. When we moved into that neighborhood, um, the first night, I remember the sirens going off and the gunshots. And I'm like, God, what is going on? And I'll just be honest with you right now, there was a lot of fear that started to seize me. And when things went from light to dark, so day to night, things changed exponentially. So I began to really appreciate the day and really was fearful at night, concerned at night, and we had a compound, a couple of buildings, a basketball court, court and a field, and it was all fenced in. And at night, I would uh, I would lock it up when we were all done. But we also had additional security, and those secure that additional security was dogs. <laughs> we had this pit bull mix. That would scare you to death. He's just so intimidating and mean, but he would lick you to death is how he'd kill you. He, he just loved people. Of course, we never told anybody that, but he was super intimidating to look at. Well, so he was a big part of our security measures. It was important that our dog was there and he was, he was safe and good. One night, our security got out. Night, our security got out. And we have to go look for him. And my boss, who is a five two white guy, he likes to say he's five five, but maybe if he was standing on the first step of a ladder he was five five. Otherwise, he is five two. Just an intense man and very like just his faith was so big. And I remember him saying, We gotta go find that dog, and I'm like, Yeah, let's go in the morning, let's do that. And he's like, No, we need to go now. Because the dog is probably close to us right now. Let's go find the dog. I said, I don't want to do that. He said, why don't you want to do that? And it's in front of my wife, and he challenges me. That was real nice of him. And he goes, I, I said, I, I don't want to because it's dangerous out there. And he goes, are you going to trust God or are you going to trust man? And he hit me in the chest uh, with his fingers like that. And, and I remember thinking, like, he's got a point. There, there's an element of wisdom we have to, you know, obviously. But there's also this, am I going to be seized with fear or am I going to trust God? And in the place of insecurity, am I going to lean into God? Does, does God have the ability to keep me safe, even in Chicago? Yeah, he does. Okay. And I remember thinking, and it was with each step, God is with me. And I, I had to tell myself over and over and over until, my, until I fell into that step. And eventually it got easier and easier. But every step was God is with me. And that was a true story. That's how I moved In the darkness in inner city Chicago when I was feeling insecure. So a piece of this story is this. Just down the the alley from us was the pharmacy. Now when I say pharmacy, you think a drugstore. You're kind of right. It was a place where they sold drugs, but not the pharmacy that you're thinking of. It was a bad place. It was just down the alley from us. And that's where we thought our dog was going. And so we had to walk by the pharmacy at night where, the, where drugs were being sold and all kinds of unique characters were in and out. What I haven't told you yet is the name of the dog. The dog's name was Killer. You go, oh, that's nice. Yeah, well, you'd be out at night at 10 o'clock in inner city Chicago walking by the pharmacy yelling for Killer. See how you do. It was it was like this. It was like this. Killer. Come here, killer. I come like I'm, like I'm in, you know drawing it out or something crazy like that. We never found the dog sadly. But what I did find was my faith in a new way. God is with me. God is with me, and God is with you, and whatever darkness you may be feeling right now, wherever you may be sensing that uh, just discouragement, God is with you, and that's where we start. The gospel went from this group of people huddled in this upper room into the Roman Empire, and to get there, it took some persecution. And as these men were being persecuted, they went out into these other areas, and it in part took them to Greece, and in northern Greece is an area called Macedonia, and the capital of Macedonia in those days was Thessalonica, or Thessaloniki as they say it today. Thessalonica was a church that warmly received the gospel. They loved it. They embraced it. And by the way, if you ever get to go to Thessaloniki today, you'll get to go into Jason's house where the church formed and started to grow. And you'll just you'll see this just incredible scenery, and you can almost see uh, these people going out and sharing the gospel in front of you. It's a really cool uh, setting. But that's what happened. And the gospel started to grow, and the church started to grow along with it. And then a decade went, and two decades went by, and the people who receive Jesus gladly are starting to die in their old age. And they're asking questions like, well, wait a minute. I thought Jesus was returning. Like, I've been expecting him. Where is he? Did I get duped? Did I believe something that was a lie? Am I an idiot for thinking that? What is the matter? Like, what is going on? And they reach out to Paul. And Paul, in chapter 4, reaches back out to them and says, you know what, let me tell you how things are going to go. Let me, let me help you. And he just, w- with kindness and grace, speaks to them. But in a place where there is um, deeper persecutions, he speaks some words of encouragement. And it's these words of encouragement that I want to share with you. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to go there. And I I love it. I love opening up my Bible. I love highlighting, underlining stuff. I want to encourage you to do that. Write notes off to the side. Don't mark anything out. That's really bad. You should never do that. But underline and highlight. You can do that all day long, and you'll be encouraged when you come back and see it at another time. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians, and let's start in chapter 5, and we'll start in verse 9. And we're just going to walk through this passage together. And what you see are some people who are discouraged. They're living in dark days. Different than our days, but similar in some ways. And you may be feeling that same way. Like, oh, God, there are all these promises, but I don't see them. You said you were coming back and you haven't yet. What do I do? Have I been duped? Is it silly for me to follow Jesus? Is this dumb? Here's some words that you may need to hear. I'm going to, yeah, we'll just start in verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath. Let me pause there. That's really big and it's really easy to gloss over. I'm going to say it one more time. God has not destined us for wrath. What does that mean? Wrath is this eternal place that is separated from heaven that the presence of God does never come. He is never there. It's a place we refer to as hell. It's a place that to get to hell, you have to choose it by not choosing God. God's a gentleman. He's not going to make you follow him. He's not going to make you spend eternity with him. And so there is this place called hell, separated from heaven. It's an ultimate fulfillment of this wrath of God. But there's also another side to it. Paul says, you're not destined for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pause there and just explain this. That salvation is also eternal, we think of as heaven, but it's also starting now. We live in this eternal life now. We live in the salvation now. Jesus said it this way. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life, and you might have it more abundantly. And that starts right now. And he says... But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, so whether we're alive or dead, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another. If you have your pen, underline that, encourage. There are several ways that we translate the word, uh, the Greek to our English word, encourage. This is one of those ways, underline it. I'll talk about it in a moment. Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. I love this. The word encourage there means to call to one's aid. And the word, ed, the word build up there means to build a house. So what is being said, if you want to encourage in this passage, it means come join me. Grab a hammer. Let's build this house. That's the idea here. We're building this house together. You want to encourage someone? Help them. I don't know if you've ever built a house, but I, I haven't. I bought houses, never built one, but everybody I talk to who's built one, they're like, it's daunting. It's hard, hard work, and it doesn't just start when you're there building. You have all this prep work that you have to do and all of these codes that you have to make sure you're like, Ugh, it's so daunting, it's overwhelming, and so to have someone join is a big deal. Well, it's like that with the church, too. We need, every, we need all hands on deck. Everybody, grab a hammer. Encourage to build the house. So, a house, there are a lot of elements to the house, obviously, but two of the main pieces are the foundation and the roof. You know, when you're looking to purchase a home, you want to check the foundation if it has a bunch of cracks in it and water's getting in there, critters are coming in. That, that's bad. Like that house can, there, there can be some shifting and bad things happen. Your house fall. You don't want that. So making sure that the foundation is laid and is strong is a big deal. And for us, our foundation is in Jesus Christ. And I want to be really specific when I say that. Like our foundation, what we're building this house on is Jesus, period. Now why do I say it that way? The reason I say it that way is because many people have built their house on the fruits of Jesus. Like, I like what Jesus gives me. I like the things that I get when I'm in fellowship with other nice people. I like that. And I'm going to build my house on that. So what has happened, especially in Western Christianity, and I'm going to say over the last decade or so in American Christianity, we've seen a lot of falling away because that foundation has not been strong. People have said, well, hmm, I've, I, built my, I thought I built my foundation on, on Jesus, but these storms came and bad things happened, and Jesus didn't answer things the way that I wanted it. And you know what? If Jesus isn't going to do things the way that I want him to do it, I'm done. Like, I'm going to do my own thing. That's a bad place to be. And churches can't be built on that. And there are people who are walking away from their faith because their foundation is not laid on The person of Jesus Christ. It's laid on things and stuff that are kind of connected. And when that happens, people move away. Roofs are intended to protect you from a storm. I mean, can you imagine living in your house as these storms come through? In Wyoming, we would get hail. And I'm not kidding you. I have a picture in my phone right now I could show you. Uh, The hailstones were this big around. So they were larger than a golf ball, smaller than a baseball. Can you imagine just being under that, no roof? You would get murdered. Like that would be terrible. But that's what's happening spiritually to people all the time because they don't have that protection of God. Like they're not standing under that protection of God. Scripture says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they're saved. I'm protected by God. That doesn't mean that the storms don't come. They absolutely do. There could be property damage for sure. But we're protected in that place. And God has a way of showing us and walking us through that and showing us how this this building is being built. And I I don't mean the literal building, but I am talking about the church as a metaphor of a building. Let's keep going. Let's take a look at this uh, in verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them highly in love because of their work. Now, it would be really easy for you to say, oh yeah, you want to bring that up because you're a pastor and so you have the spiritual authority in my life, so you want to tell me what to do. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That is not true at all. In fact, I want to tell you, that uh, myself, also uh, Pastor Matt, all of the staff, we're under the authority of the elders here. We listen to the authority of the trustees and follow them as well. Like We're, we're under authority, and again, one of the problems that we've had in the American church is that people said, I'm, I'm just following God, and I'm not going to listen to any man, which sounds spiritual, but in truth, it's rogue. Like, I'm just going to do whatever I want. However I interpret that or whatever I think God is telling me, I'm just going to do that. And just shut up and don't talk to me about it. That's a bad place to be. And we've had a lot of rogue leaders who haven't been willing to be under authority in their lives. People who can speak into that and say, you know what? I think you're off here. And you need to align back up with the scriptures. And this is what the scripture teaches clearly. You align back up to that. Okay. Yes, sir. I need that. That's why it's important for us to have uh, multiple generations in our churches who are people who are ahead of us in life, who are speaking to where, where they're at and where we're going to go in a godly way. Never been there. I don't know. Tell me. What do I need to know? Help me walk through this in a godly way. So being under authority is a big deal. How can we be under the authority of God who we don't see if we're never under authority of a person that we do see. That's the principle. Let's keep going here. Uh, verse 14. And, and I'm going to go a little bit slower and break some of this stuff down because it's really important. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. The, the word admonish is a super cool word. It means to put something in someone's brain. Like you're putting it in their head. Uh, sometimes we also translate that word warn or that term warn. So we're going to warn them. But we're literally putting it in their head. And who are we doing this to? The idol. In English, the word idol often means to, is like I'm going to turn on my car, but I'm not going anywhere. Uh, I'm being idle. That's not what this word means. It's military insubordination. So it's like saying, I know what you're saying, but I'm not going to do it. Earlier in the passage that we read with encourage one another, So join them, grab a hammer and build. This idol would be like this. Hey, your hammer's over there. You should pick it up and don't forget that nail over there. Hey, there's your tape measure. I don't know if you've seen a tape measure, but there's one right there. Go ahead and get it. That's what idol is here. It's not helpful. It's not helpful at all. Make sense? Help me out? Amen? Amen? Make sense? Okay. So... So this is a person, being idle is, like, not helpful. Continuing on. Encourage the faint-hearted. Underline that, encourage. That's a different word than the one used earlier. It means to, like, soothe or apply a healing balm on something. The word faint-hearted means to be small-souled. Isn't that kind of a funny term? Small-souled. So what are they saying? Apply healing balm onto a small soul. Now, you could have been a big soul and then a small soul because you've been so discouraged. And how do we get big again? Well, here, encourage. Apply some healing balm. Those could be with words. Those could be with actions. It's a, it's a little bit more ambiguous, uh, but it, it's, it's definitely actionable. Something we can do. But what it isn't is Oh, well, hey, friend, I know you're really discouraged. Have you thought about praying? Did you think about reading your Bible? Like, that's telling me to pick up a hammer. Of course I've been praying. Of course I've been picking up my Bible. What that maybe looks like is coming over to my home and spending time and praying with me. Or, you know, it's that kind of thing. Make sense? You with me? Okay. I I really can't see your faces because of the masks. I'm not telling you to take your mask off. But if you say amen, it'll help me out a lot. Thank you. Okay, encourage the faint-hearted, the small-souled. Help the weak. It just means to support. And then it says, be patient with them all. Now, the word be patient, if you took a biblical dictionary, basically it would say uh, it would be the opposite of idle, uh, small-souled, and weak. That's what being patient is. It's the opposite of those things. So it's very peculiar that... That would be, that's exactly what they said. Take care of these type of people and then be patient. Be the opposite of that type of, of person. So it's like this. If I don't have it, I can't give it to you. Like if I'm, if I'm being idle, if I'm being insubordinate, I, I can't help you not be insubordinate, right? I mean, if, if I'm small-souled, I can't help you get out of being small-souled. If I'm not helping people, I can't help you help people. That's the idea. It would it'd be like if we went out to lunch, you were super hungry, and I said, Hey, you can have, you can have my, I'll share my lunch with you. And you, oh, what are you having? Well, I don't really have any. I'm like, what? I'm wasting my time. What's the matter with you, Kenny? It's like that. We, we can only share what we have. Be patient with one another. This is a part of encouraging the church, of building the church up. It's done transformatively. This isn't, I I don't want you to hear like uh, behavior modification. I just need to change my behavior. If I just change my behavior, that's all that needs to happen. No, I'm talking about something that happens spiritually in our soul. Like I want to do this because... Uh, because I want to do this. I want to follow Jesus because I want to follow Jesus. I love what he's done for me, and I want to follow him because I know his are the ways of life. And if he's telling me I need to do this, then I should do it because this is the ways of life. It's not to earn salvation. It's just to follow him. And what the church in Thessalonica saw was a growth. The church grew because of these words, because they put these words into action. And that's the challenge for us as well. To put these words into action. Uh, For about 15 years now, I've been doing faith experiments. Some people like to call them faith exercises because they make your spiritual muscle of faith stronger. Okay, if you want to call it that, you can. Faith experiments, (laughs) what I refer to them. And here are a few I want to challenge you with. One is you're going to see a card uh, probably in your chair or on your row. If you would just grab that card, it says, encourage one another or something to that effect. If you would grab that card... I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to think about the name, okay? Who needs you to encourage them? Who is it? Whoever that was, probably God is telling you something. Write that name down and start encouraging them. Like, you can do that right now. Just put it on that that card. And it doesn't have to be a big deal. It could just be, hey, I was thinking of you today. I paused and prayed for you. Wanted you to know that. It could be as easy as that. Or maybe it's something specific. You know what's going on in their life. Do it. Write them a note. Send it to them. Super cool to get stuff in mail that's not a bill or, you know, like um, uh, bulk mailings. I hate that. I hate going to the mailbox like, oh, another bill, another bill. Oh, good, an ad. That's just what I needed. Uh, But when you see a card, a handwritten card, you're like, whoa, like it's gold. All right. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Let's look at the second one. Discover a way to extend courage to someone who is struggling. call text, email, show up to their house uh, one of one of my best friends in high school, his mom died uh, just this last week. Uh, we haven't been connected in, in years and years like i 've just never been in Indiana since then, and his life has gone a different way and so i didn't have his number, so I found him on Messenger and I sent him a message and just said. Hey, Joey, I just saw the news, man. I am so sorry. I love you. I'm praying for you. And if there's anything I can do, let me know. What's your number? I'd like to give you a call. Almost immediately, I can't tell you how much this meant to me. Thank you. It's not hard, but it does have to be purposeful. Third one, take someone out to eat this week and speak life into them. Now, some of you might be, some of you like words, and this is not intimidating, you're like, easy, I know exactly what I'm going to do. Others of you are like, I like to eat, but I don't like to talk. I get it, like, that's okay. So you might consider this, ask a question. Just go out with someone and ask a question. How are you doing? What's God doing in your life? How do you see God at work? What's God teaching you? Uh, Any number of questions, then you can eat that whole time, right? It'll be fine. So try it out, see what happens. The Spirit of God might be provoking something different in your heart. Do that. You might say, I, none of these are really connecting with me. Here's what I think I'm going to do. Cool, do that. But let's not just be hearers of the word. Let's be doers of the word as well. Let's not let weeks go by, and months go by before we hear encouraging things. I'm always, I'm always saddened like at funerals when people get up and they'll say things like, I've never said this before, but... Da, da, da. And they'll, they'll give a kind word to the person who's passed. I'm like, you waited till now? Come on. It, let's not do that. We're the church. Jesus, he says, I'm the light of the world. And then later he says, you're the light of the world. Be the light of the world. Because we live in darkness. And they need some light. Amen. We need some transformation. And it comes through the work of Jesus. As the worship team comes, I'm going to pray and um, I, I just want to pray a blessing on you and and ask you to be preparing your heart for communion as well. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. As you're preparing your heart for communion, you might be thinking a few questions like, is there any unconfessed sin in my life? Am I a believer? I mean, those might be some questions that you just kind of chew on as I'm praying before we go into this time of communion. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. We thank you and we ask, O oh Lord, that you would be exalted and lifted up. We thank you for what you are doing, what you have done, and what you will do. Lord, I I pray right now that it would be hard for us to leave this place and not speak truth and love and to give courage. Because we live in, in a dark world, and your light, Lord, shines so brightly through your people When we take those steps of faith. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Years ago, one of my daughters came to me and said, Dad, I I, want to go to family reunion. She was just little. I mean, I don't think she was even four yet. And she was so excited. And and that daughter in particular has these really big eyes. And so we call her the cuteness sometimes. And and she's just like, Dad, I want to go to family reunion. Your eyes are so big. I'm like, honey we don't live near Nana. That, like, that's not till next summer. What are you talking about? And she looked at me like I was speaking another language. Like, no, I don't want to go to Indiana. I want family reunion. And I said, baby, what do you mean? And she said, dad, with that piece of bread and the <laughs> cup with the juice in it, family reunion, dad. Like, da die. Isn't that a great word for communion? Like, that's exactly what this is. Brothers and sisters in Christ are coming together. We're remembering what has happened in our spiritual family. How good the Father has been to us that he would send his son to give his life that we could have life. That's what we're remembering. That's a big deal. I love family reunion. Sometimes we call it communion. If you have your cup, I want to encourage you to go ahead and get it. And on... I, I don't know, how you, however you're looking at this, the one side where the bread is, go ahead and open that up. We remember what Jesus has done for us, how he gave his life that we could come together. How unique that we are together right now. That only happened because there was a man who came in the flesh, who died on the cross for our sins, who conquered sin and death, rose from the grave and gave his life. We remember that. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And he passed it to his disciples. And as his disciples broke it off, they were reminded of this idea that we're in this together. We're taking from the same bread. And so we're not bound by time. and We're not bound by space. But believers who have gone before us and who are all over the world, Believers who are yet to be, we are remembering what God has done. And in this family reunion, we celebrate the one who died for us. Let us participate. Go to the other side and open up the cup. Jesus reminded his disciples that this cup represents the new covenant, his blood. A reminder that he gave his life that we could have life. We're not bound by the law, but we've been set free. We're not bound by the law of sin and death, but we have been redeemed by the work of Jesus. And this family gathers together, and we remember that. Let's participate. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. We praise you, O oh Lord, and ask that you would be glorified as we remember you and what you have done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.